This podcast contains adult language and mature themes, which may not be suitable for all listeners. So listen at your own fucking risk. to Essential NPCs, the podcast where we sample some of the best and possibly some of the worst tabletop RPGs. I'm Addie. And I'm Tommy. And you're listening to Series 9, Episode 1, 231 to Waypoint. Welcome to Series 9 of the Essential NPCs podcast. If you are a return listener or if you are just listening for the first time, we're glad to have you here. For anyone who is new to the podcast, we want to give you a quick rundown of how our podcast works. This is an actual play podcast. Every episode is about 60 to 90 minutes of actual play content preceded by... 10 minutes of announcements and also a segment we like to call Words with the GM. During Words with the GM, we talk about the previous episode and any GMing tips or tricks that we can come up with. And we like to talk about aspects of the systems we're playing so that people can better understand how to run them in their home games. And this actual play podcast isn't dedicated to just one RPG system. Uh, Instead, we bounce around so that our listeners get a variety of different RPGs that they can sample and decide whether it's for them and their home game. Uh, We run uh, 10 to 20 episodes uh, of each system. And this is a 20 episode series and a very special series uh, because we are producing Uh, 20 episodes of our own RPG written by our very own Tommy Cotton. That's me. Manifest. This is, in fact, the world premiere of Manifest. I've been working on this RPG for a handful of years now, and I've had a whole bevy of playtesters come through and give me tons of great feedback, and it is time for us to share it with the rest of you. We're super, super excited to be giving you a taste of this system, and even more excited because near the end of this 20-episode series in the spring of 2019, we will be launching the Kickstarter for Manifest. So hopefully you get a little hooked listening <laughs> to these episodes and you want to try it out and, uh, and you back us on Kickstarter and, uh, and we can make this RPG into a reality. Manifest is a sci-fi Western RPG, and obviously there's going to be a lot of ground to cover as far as catching you up on the lore and even the mechanics of the system, Uh, and we hope to be able to achieve that over the course of 20 episodes with our Words with the GM segment. Um, But for now, I want to start by giving you a kind of general overview of the setting. Approximately 400 years ago, humanity's homeworld was the closest thing to a sci-fi utopia that you can imagine. Uh, Amazing technology, space travel, and really one of the only problems they had was just a general need for energy and fuel to maintain the infrastructure. That's when a wormhole mysteriously opened up very nearby the planet. After sending a few probes through, they discovered a barren star system with a single habitable planet a planet they called Manifest. This planet 
had a naturally occurring resource that came to be known as luminescence, a hard light substance that could be synthesized and repurposed with almost infinite renewability into virtually any piece of te- existing technology. It was, in short, the solution to all of the problems that humanity was facing at the time. And so it is no surprise that huma- that uh, people began flocking through the wormhole, uh, rushing to the planet, a la a gold rush, uh, to colonize and mine and collect the resource that could bring them renewable riches. Large corporations airdropped entire factory towns onto the, onto the planet, offering generous pay to anyone who would go through the wormhole and start a new life on Manifest working at these factories. And private travelers also flocked to the planet, going anywhere they could, seeking out the luminescence and returning it through the wormhole to the homeworld. Humanity's foremost scientists assured everyone that the wormhole was so stable it would last for almost a millennia. So the infrastructure on Manifest was set up in a way that it relied on the homeworld to function. Unfortunately and unexpectedly, the wormhole closed before even a year had passed, stranding hundreds of thousands of people on Manifest, cutting them off from their homeworld with no hope of return. This event would later be known as the Departure. As you may imagine, Life on Manifest following the departure was chaotic. The powers that be, the corporations and and factories that were there, uh, immediately began consolidating power and resources, uh, resulting in a prolonged era of conflict known as the Factory Wars. During this time, much of the knowledge of the old world was lost, and humanity on Manifest eventually stabilized into what it is now. Only eight factory towns remain, colossal overpopulated sprawls with a significant amount of advanced technology still functioning for those that can afford to utilize it. A significant amount of the planet's population has scattered into small settlements of varying size and quality. Those who avoid the factory towns do so to stay away from the rampant corruption and crime that plagues the cityscapes. In this world, players take up the role of drifters, a term used to describe individuals who have talents that put them above the average denizen of Manifest, who travel from town to town, making their fortune by whatever means suits their skill set. They can be anything from righteous gunslingers to eccentric tinkerers or wranglers and outlaws. The defining feature of a drifter is their talent and a relative unwillingness to stay in one place for too long. Players can choose from a robust list of character options, selecting from a list of histories and paths that help define their character and how they interact with the world of Manifest. Uh, These histories and paths, of course, we will cover in future words with the GM in more detail. The mechanics of the game are relatively easy to pick up, but have a significant amount of depth and complexity for those who really want to sink their teeth into it. 
In this system, you roll nothing but D20s. <laughs> your physical and mental attributes determine how many of those dice you get to roll, and your skills determine the target number you are attempting to roll on those dice. A successful die is one that rolls equal to or under the target number that your skill sets. For example, to shoot a gun, you would roll a number of d20s as determined by your finesse attribute, and your target number would be equal to or under your ranged weapon skill. The amount of successful dice you roll determines how effective you are at whatever you are attempting to do. In the instance of an opposed test, like if you're using your ranged weapon skill to shoot at someone who doesn't want to be shot, <laughs> you roll an opposed test where they roll an appropriate defense skill test and you roll your appropriate attack skill test. Then both participants in the opposed skill check announce the highest successful number that they rolled. Whomever rolled higher wins the opposed test, but has to remove any other successful dice that rolled a value lower than the opponent's highest successful roll. There are ways to augment the rolls that you find particularly important, as every player has an expendable resource known as grit. There are almost as many ways for players to earn grit as there are ways for them to spend it. Uh, for example, the most common use of grit is to play to the gallery, which allows you to expand the range of your target number. Obviously, as of this recording, you cannot go and buy the book to kind of refresh yourself on the rules as you listen. Uh, but fear not, we have created a cheat sheet quick guide to some of the important terms and basic mechanics of Manifest. That way you guys don't, don't get too lost as you listen to the actual play. Uh, you can find this quick guide on our website, EssentialNPCs.com. Go there, click on the Extras tab to find it, and have it handy as you listen if you want to try and really solidify your knowledge of the rules. While you're on our website, you can also go and check out our character art for the new series. Once again, Lillian Dermeyer has pulled out all the stops, and we have some amazing character art. Uh, and you can also find the character art posted on our Instagram Facebook and Twitter, all at Essential NPCs. For this series, we've got four characters for you now and another three coming throughout the series. We've got an eventual seven art pieces because we're shaking things up even more. Uh, we decided to pull out all the stops and uh, as the series goes on, we'll be rotating in and out some of your favorite past cast members, uh, including Seth Lilly, Nick Gajeri, and Sean Four. But we're going to kick off the series with a redux of the series two cast with Tommy in the GM seat, Addie Gia, that's me, Dan Barron, Roman Mylan, and Ryan Covert as our players. But in the interest of not spoiling the narrative, we are not going to be revealing when characters and players are going to be rotating in and out. So you're going to have to sit tight and wait for your favorites to leave or come in. Uh, which opens the door for me to talk just a little bit about the four player characters that you will be listening to this episode. Uh, Addie is going to be playing Juliet Hunt. Experienced and well-traveled, she has chosen the path of the gunslinger, which is one of honor and discipline. Anyone can run around with a pair of guns, but a gunslinger elevates it into an art form and lives and dies by the gun. The great and terrible thing about gunslingers is that they will stand against evil whether you want them to or not. They have become the stuff of legends, uh, akin to the mythical knights of the old world, with their cold, precise, unwavering quest to stamp out evil wherever they find it. 
Ryan Covert is going to be playing Clayton Sawyer, a bounty hunter who follows the path of the Wrangler. Uh, large herds and wild beasts roam the frontier of Manifest, and those that follow the path of the Wrangler know how to tame them and corral them. This lifestyle is not for the faint of heart. If the wildlife and the weather don't kill you, bandits and feudal tribes might yet do the job. A wrangler can make a good profit breaking in wild animals and selling them, but out on the wild frontier, to have valuable livestock is to have a large target on your back. But the risk typically pays off for those that can survive it. Clayton travels the world on a formidable beast known as an Ache, a large, bright red, lion-like bull creature that are notoriously pretty hard to tame. Clayton is also illuminated. After hundreds of years of life on Manifest, certain people are starting to be born with unique and strange powers. Some have the ability to manipulate uh, people's thoughts or move things with their minds. Others have supernatural speed and strength. The general consensus is that these powers are a result of humanity's prolonged exposure to the energy source known as luminescence. In the best places on manifests, illuminated people are treated with caution. In the worst places of manifest, they are met with fear, violence, and discrimination. As a result, most illuminated people keep that information pretty close to the vest until they know who they can trust. Dan Barron's character is Roy Hampton, who follows the path of the outlaw. Life on Manifest is hard, and having a conscience is a good way to get killed. Those that choose the path of the outlaw understand that in order to survive, one has to take whatever they can, whenever they can. Law and order is little more than an illusion those in power use to punish those that get in their way. Outlaws don't believe in rules. They only believe in making their way in this world whatever way they can. Roy is a very young and extremely successful gentleman thief with a substantial bounty on his head, one that Covert's character is currently attempting to cash in. Dan is beginning this campaign a prisoner. And Roman Mylan's character is Badlands Pete, a sort of living tall tale. He follows the path of the brawler. In some communities, especially out in the frontier, guns aren't always easy to come by for those that don't already have them. This has created a subculture of people who resent the use of ranged weaponry, preferring instead to get up close and personal for a real fight. These people follow the path of the brawler. While some brawlers don't outright abhor the use of firearms and projectiles, nearly all of them wildly prefer to face their foe in close quarters combat. Uh, this culture has reinvigorated gladiatorial entertainment rings in some of the less developed parts of Manifest. Uh, at character creation, a player selects a path for their character, and it has a few mechanical implications, many of which we'll get into in other words with the GM. But the one I want to touch on before we start the episode is that along with your path, you gain access to a list of advancement triggers to choose from for your character. Advancement triggers are narrative conditions that, when met, grant you and all the other players in the session experience points to get you closer to leveling up. 
for example, one of the advancement trigger options for a gunslinger is an innocent life is saved with an exchange of bullets. And you'll hear throughout the series players speaking up when they think they've met an advancement trigger so that they can gain XP and possibly level up. This is just a small glimpse of what makes up a character in Manifest, and we'll be expanding more on it as the series progresses. For those of you who want to know more about the mechanics and the world, keep listening to Words with the GM because we're going to cover all of that and more. But for now, we just really want to get into the first session and show you just a, a little bit of what this setting and system have to offer. So without further ado, let's move on in and listen to Series 9, Episode 1, 231 to Waypoint. Enjoy! Greetings, I'm Clayton Sawyer. You may not have heard of me, but I'm one of the best bounty hunters in the Badlands. I got a few advantages, you see. First is Sugar, my Ache, and even though I only found her a few years back, my best friend. She was the runner for a herd and probably couldn't keep up and was cast out, and I know how that feels. So me and her bonded, and she grew up right with me stepping in as her daddy. The second edge I got, hunting bounties, is that I'm illuminated, and my abilities granting me an advantage that most of the nastiest outlaws ever got bountied can't compete with. The thing about being illuminated is that those same abilities that give me all those powers and advantages are also unsubtle to most folk. They can understand a gun or a knife, but they can't quite figure the threat someone like me might be to them. That's why me and Suge are always moving, hunting, and on to the next bounty, leaving people behind before they can make us get. One day, me and Suge are going to pull in a big bounty, and we'll make enough to settle into our own homestead but we can be ourselves and ain't nobody going to try to drive us away again. We'll wrestle cattle, do some farming, and live a quiet life on our own little slice of the Badlands. Howdy, folks. Name's Roy Hampton. Now I know what you're thinking. How did such a dashing young man come to be robbing you today? Well, you get to handing over your spurs, and I'll tell you what's what. I grew up in a factory town with my mamas Helen and Kate. Helen was a kind, quiet lady, kept her head down to raise me best as she could. But Mama Kate, she was the kind of woman who couldn't help but stand up for us, even when we weren't asking. In the city, there's two kinds of folks. The family, and people paying the family. And Mama Kate wasn't about to be either. Problem is, when you're standing up to a planetary crime syndicate, you and yours are liable to end up in the dirt. So when the Jimmies came to our home, my mamas held him off long enough for me to escape. After that, thieving wasn't a choice. It was survival. Now, miss, you ain't gonna get to that holdout before I lose this arrow. Just sit tight. We're almost through. See, turns out I got a knack for this life. Key is to always have the advantage. Never pick a fair fight. Second trick is to rob folks that can afford to lose it. And there ain't nobody richer than the family. There was a time I was hitting the family so hard I was taking enough spurs to live like a king. Trouble is, family ain't inclined to let robbery of that magnitude slide, hence the 800 spur bounty on my head. Now I know y'all are feeling a few spurs short, but look on the bright side. Next time you throw a fancy shindig, you can tell the story of the time you were robbed by Roy Hampton, legendary outlaw. Y'all have a nice day now. Howdy. Folks around here call me Badlands Pete. You might have heard some tales about me. About how I use a rattler as a lasso, or how I ride a ball tail cat. Oh, 
Maybe you heard the one about how I punched the peak off of the tallest mountain of Manifest. <laughs> now, I ain't saying those stories are true, but I, I ain't saying they ain't. See, when I was a youngin', my parents decided the factory town life was getting to be too much factory and not enough town. So they packed us up and headed toward the freedom of the Badlands. Not too long after we crossed into the wilds, I wandered off after a working pup, my parents up, and left me behind. It was alright, because that pup's pack only well, took me in. It raised me, taught me how to be a survivor, just like them. And my brother Tommy, I'm sorry, Thomas, well, he came looking for me years later. He took me back to the big city with him, cleaned me up, and reminded me how to speak, and tried to help me back into civilized life. But I reckon after 20 years in the wild, the wild's in you for good. And it kept calling me. Before long, I, I found myself headed back to where I knew was home. Now I travel the Badlands, and folks can't seem to help but tell another story about me everywhere I go. You're welcome to come along, see if I live up to the legend. Because you see, the Badlands are my home. I reckon I ain't leaving them again anytime soon. My name is Juliet Hunt, and I've been a drifter nearly my whole life. My parents were killed by bandits when I was far too young. I only survived because a gunslinger named Avery came along and rescued me. Being that I was an orphan, he took me under his wing and taught me to shoot like him. Passed on the craft like a father to a daughter. After Avery died, I drifted alone for a time, until happenstance brought me to Cyrus Finch. He's loud, flashy, full of cockamamie ideas, and occasionally a criminal. And I, I ain't any of those things. We ended up drifting together a long while, and gotten to more than a few situations we never saw coming, including getting hitched. Like all drifters that live past their prime, we eventually hung up our irons, and we settled down in a nice little town in the Badlands. Now, I ain't so retired that I won't oblige somebody who's in desperate need of a bullet, and Cyrus has to sate his itch to run a grift from time to time, but by our standards, it's a quiet kind of life. For a long while, it was a pleasant life, until Cyrus up and disappeared without a word. Now... He ain't the most communicative individual, but I just got this gut feeling that something ain't right, and Avery taught me better than to ignore my gut. So I've closed up shop, took up my irons, and set out drifting again. My Cyrus is out there somewhere, and I'm gonna find him. And when I do, oh boy, he better be in need of saving. Otherwise, he's in trouble. The factory town of San Cordero is renowned for being the center of art and culture on Manifest. As if to support this claim, the San Cordero train station is relatively stylish compared to those of other factory towns. Worn black and white checkered stone tiles make up the elevated landing that gives passengers easy access to the hovering train cars, and pale morning sunlight shines through the tall, vaulted, frosted glass ceilings. This early morning train that the four of you are taking seems to be relatively light on passengers. There's only a little over a dozen people making their way towards the train. High-speed rails are a luxury that few can afford. It would take most Badland settlers the better part of a year to earn enough for a one-way third-class ticket, which happens to be the kind of ticket all of you have purchased. The first two cars of a high-speed rail are 
the locomotive engine and the crew quarters. Uh, the next car is for first class, uh, luxury, large sleeping cars. The next two cars are the dining car and the saloon. And then there, and then there's the observation car. After that, there are two second class cars. And finally we reach the third class car where you are approaching the following eight cars of the train are all for cargo and storage. Juliet. Yes. You are approaching the San Cordero train as the conductor leans out the locomotive and shouts, high-speed rail 231 to waypoint is departing in 10 minutes. All aboard. As you get closer to the train, you can hear the resonant humming of the pylons that are built into the ceiling and the opposite wall that provide the gravity manipulation that allows this train to float in place. You step up the platform onto the third class car, uh, showing your ticket to the militiaman there. Um, while this, this may be... a uh, relatively inviting area for San Cordero. Like anywhere in any factory town, uh, militiamen are always nearby uh, with their flat top kepi caps and modified rifles uh, waiting for anyone to break any rule. Juliet, how do you feel about factory towns in general? Uh, they ain't great. I died in one once, so um, I'm not uh, want to, to repeat that situation. Uh, so I, I keep my head down and my irons at my side and uh, hopefully board the train as quickly and uh, publicly acceptably as possible. The San Cordero militiaman uh, looks at your pass and uh, gestures for you to step aboard. Uh, seems you are the first person to enter the third class car. Uh, so you have your pick of any of the, not necessarily cramped, but all forward-facing uh, benches on this train car. All right. I will uh, proceed to the rear of the car and uh, sit in the back left-hand seat. Badlands Pete? Yep. You stand out quite a bit. I, I mean, Juliet stands out a little bit here. Uh, you know, most people in factory towns are a little cleaner than she is. But even still, you, in particular, Badlands Pete, stand out like a sore thumb in the in a factory town. And sure. you walk, uh, you walk aboard. Um, you get a couple strange looks uh, from other passengers. There's a man in his uh, late forties uh, escorting uh, a young woman, probably his daughter, into the first class carriage, and she whispers something to him. He looks your way, gives you like kind of a scowl, and like pushes her uh, to continue towards the uh, the train car. Ultimately, uh, uh, you're drawing a few eyes. You do see like the militiamen stiffen just a little bit as you walk up towards the train. I tip my hat a bit to him. He uh, he reaches out his hand. Tickets? Sure. Uh, you hand them over. He takes a little bit extra time looking it over, and then he hands it back to you and uh, motions for you to step aboard the third class car. Mm -hmm. uh, you step you step in, and uh, currently there's only one occupant. Uh, it is a woman in her early 40s. She's sitting in the back of the car with uh, two modified fine pistols on her hips. I uh, mosey on into the car and I'll sit on the sort of closest unoccupied bench. I ain't picky. Uh, Juliet, you see a large um, older man with a scraggly beard, scraggly hair, dirty clothes, uh, just screaming Badlands Drifter uh, as he, he enters the car and kind of shuffles into one of the seats. Okay. 
A few more a few more minutes pass. No one gets on the third class train car. And uh, just as it seems all the passengers have made it aboard the train, if either Pete or Juliet look out the left window, uh, they see a man in his 30s, tanned skin, a little a little rough, uh, toting a modified uh, auto rifle, escorting a young man uh, who's relatively well-dressed, a little clean-cut looking, but you notice that his hands are draped under a, uh, under a blanket uh, in front of him uh, and they are not, or, and his wrists are not moving apart from each other. Juliet, you can easily uh, spot this as uh, a bounty hunter escorting uh, a captured bounty aboard the train. Well, he don't look like much. So uh, I'll tip my hat to uh, the bounty hunter and, uh, I suppose rest up for the for the journey. Get comfy. I tip mine as well and say, "Ma'am." And then I seat my prize on the inside towards the window, and I sit down on the outside, and I say, "For someone worth as much as you, you sure whine a lot." Oh, come on, man. There's so many open seats. Can you not just take the one across? <laughs> Legroom is limited. <laughs> <laughs> I could but I won't. <laughs> I chuckle at that. Uh, about a minute later, uh, the train lets out a, a whistle and uh, all the doors seal shut. Uh, a militia man outside um, uh, waves to the conductor to indicate that the train is clear and those pylons kind of built into the ceiling and wall kind of light up a little bit more and the train begins to move forward. Uh, It picks up speed smoothly but quickly uh, as you break away from San Cordero quickly. Looking out the window, you see the the relatively attractive factory town of San Cordero uh, built up against the mountainside with uh, a couple waterfalls trickling down into uh into its central oasis fall behind you and uh in front uh you see the arid dry treacherous badlands that many of you call home and you know that this train is about a 12 hour journey uh to your destination of waypoint all of the high-speed rails on Manifest give direct service to factory towns only. They do not stop along the way, uh, with the single exception of the Badlands settlement known as Waypoint, which is called the capital of drifters by many. Uh, long ago, uh, the founder of Waypoint managed to convince all of the factory towns to set up a refueling station there for the treacherous journeys across the open badlands. And as such, it became uh, one of the more central hubs of Manifest for anyone who doesn't want to deal with the watchful eye of the factory town militia or the cramped conditions of city life. Juliet, you said you were you were taking a taking a nap. I think so. I mean, once I assess whether or not this uh, bounty is is securely fastened in his seat, I will then uh, shut my eyes for a little while. It's a long ride, and uh, ain't nothing likely to happen on a high speed rail. <laughs> okay, Badlands Pete, uh, you uh, uh, getting into anything on the train along the way? There's not a whole lot that a third class uh, passenger is allowed to do. You're actually not allowed into the saloon or the dining car, uh, though there is a small automated uh, food and drink dispenser at the front of this train car that you could get something to to tide you over for part of the journey. Uh, I think he actually uh, 
takes out a little bit of very homemade looking jerky from his pocket, crunches down on that a little bit. Uh, and I do mean crunch. Um, <laughs> and then he, uh, he probably also gets a little shut eye, nothing around a factory town looking at anyway. And, uh, Clayton and Roy, do you, do you get into anything interesting in the, in at least the first leg of this journey? I imagine I'm just reading the newspaper. So you ain't, you ain't gonna like take a nap <laughs> on this here very long train ride, yeah? Nope. <laughs> well, all right then. I'll turn over and take a nap. <laughs> a few hours into the ride, uh, you see settlement after Badland settlement pass by on the horizon. The train accelerating forward underneath T-shaped pylons that lead it up towards the uh, the mountain range. And as you get closer to the mountains, the front of the uh, train car opens up and a young, well-dressed woman, probably... 18 to 20 years old walks in and kind of soaks in the uh, soaks in the scene looking at all of you. Badlands Pete if you if you are awake at this point and not napping uh, this is the same uh, young woman who spoke to her father uh, when she saw you. She kind of like sizes up Badlands Pete and then um, takes a look over at Clayton and Roy and uh, her eyes linger on Roy for a little bit longer and then she makes her way towards uh, towards the two of you. Do I see your eye in Roy? Yeah, I mean, she's not super subtle about it. I think I'm going to put my paper down and uh, perhaps adjust my boot a little bit. Uh, she walks over and uh, sits in the uh, aisle across from, uh, from Roy and Clayton and looks at the two of you and goes, So y'all are drifters, huh? Uh, that is correct, ma'am. And, uh, and uh, you... Uh... You don't seem like the drifting type. What brings you down to third class? She she grins at that and goes, the city life is is fun and all, but uh, I came to the Badlands on vacation to meet some of the, the actual residents of the Badlands. And you're not going to find anyone, uh, anyone like that in first class. Uh, and she extends a hand out to you, uh, uh, <laughs> kind of ignoring Clayton, like reaching in front of him and says, uh, Susan Taylor. Roy Hampton, and I will reach across and shake her hand. I will push his hand back down into his lap. (laughs) (laughs) Well, hey, now, that's just rude. (laughs) Uh, She sees your handcuffs, and she goes, oh, and she looks, she finally looks at Clayton and, like, sizes him up, sees, like, he's got, like, the rifle kind of leaning up against his chair, and, like, she smiles at that, and she goes, are you dangerous? (laughs) Mostly just mouthy. (laughs) Well, hey, you know, give me some credit. There's 800 spurs on my head. I think I might be a little dangerous. Or you just pissed off enough people. She raises an eyebrow, or she raises her eyebrows at that and goes, 800 spurs, look at you. What did you say your name was? Uh, that's Roy Hampton. Ma'am, <laughs> not to be rude, but perhaps you should move along. Oh, the law, am I right? And she like winks at Roy. <laughs> Tell me about it. I'm not doing any harm, mister. I'm just simply having a chat with the young man. If he's to be hung at his destination, I'd like him to at least enjoy the company of a fine young woman like myself. Well, a little late for that. Move along, please. Is she on the level? You can you can roll to try and suss that out. Uh, it would be a discipline roll uh, to try and read her uh, manipulation if she's manipulating at all. Um, but if you have the talent playing the player, uh, you can roll manipulate yourself. Well, I do. So I will use my much better manipulate stat. Uh, I got a 12. Okay, my highest is a 9. 
You know what? I'm going to go ahead. I'm going to spend two grit to uh, play to the gallery. And uh, now I got a 14 also. So that's three net hits. <laughs> okay. So she's definitely playing with Clayton. Um, and she's definitely flirting with you. She doesn't seem to have any other ulterior motive than to have fun. Well, all right then. With three hits, you think she's probably of privileged stock and doesn't get to see much of the world and is actually genuinely interested in brushing shoulders with the more rough and tumble uh, people of Manifest. All right, I'll keep uh, playing along. She kind of pouts almost just slightly at Clayton and goes, come on, mister, what, what harm is it? We have a long journey here. Don't you like a little conversation? Yeah, come on. What's that, Roy? You need to use the restroom. Well, okay. And then uh, I'll I'll get up and escort him out towards the restroom and throw him in there. Oh, hey, come on. Hey, wait. No, come on, man. Like, I ain't going to... <laughs> <laughs> well, all right. I'm in this restroom alone now, right? No. <laughs> As Roy, Clayton shoves Roy into, uh, into the cramped restroom at the front of this car, the door opens up again. And uh, this girl's uh, uh, father comes walking in. She seems to be looking around, like eyeing Juliet, as if she's going to come over and talk to to Juliet. Um, and then hears the door open, looks over, sees her father, and uh, and the stern look on his face as he walks up and he starts to speak in hushed tones to her, but not so hushed that you guys can't hear some of it. Uh, and he goes, "What are you doing?" I'm just having a little bit of fun. I thought everyone we saw in San Cordero was just like everyone back home. I wanted to, I came to the Badlands to speak to Badlands residents. It would be fun. I wanted to see some danger. And he goes, we are not here to, for danger. You are coming up front. Let's go. And he kind of like, he doesn't like grab her and tug her, but like his tone does enough to make her like kind of stand up. Uh, and he walks behind her as they make their way out of the train car. Uh, listen to him, honey. Badlands ain't no vacation. Danger sure as hell ain't no vacation. She looks at that and kind of stops as if she wants to respond. And, uh, the man kind of like bumps up against her and pushes her along. And as they're leaving, she's like, see, people don't talk like that back home. (laughs) 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 And, uh, and they, they, uh, exit the car. Toilet flushes and Roy and I come out. All right, I don't understand why you had to come into the toilet. There ain't no windows in there, Clayton. Where am I going to go? 800 spurs is a lot of money. I ain't taking any risks. I just sigh and head back to our bench, and I politely wait and allow Clayton to get in first. I (laughs) assist him onto the seat. So uh, I have a I have a question. Uh, can I like this uh, relationship between this bounty and bounty hunters? Pretty straightforward. But uh, who's this man uh, up front? The dirty one. Uh, <laughs> is he anything I need to worry about? He looks physically capable. Um, he has a banded lasso at his hip. No firearm from what you can see. Not really. The The only weapon you can see on him right now would be that lasso. But uh, a man of his age, looking as fit as he is, uh, and the way he just he carries himself, like he is formidable. If you want to try and roll uh, observe to kind of watch him. And Pete, if you're trying to, for whatever reason, conceal yourself in any way, you can roll blend. Uh, Pete don't really hide. <laughs> Not really his style. 
That's one hit. Yeah, so you uh, you kind of watch this guy for a little while. He's just kind of sitting there, not trying to be like subtle about his mannerisms or anything. Uh, he's a rough and tumble Badlands resident. You don't think he has any ill intent. He's not like, he doesn't look shifty, right? He's not like looking like he's waiting to jump you guys or something like that. So I, w- I don't think you necessarily would classify him as a threat. You think if you crossed him, he would very easily become a threat. I don't know about that, but um, <laughs> that jerky looks real good. I'm going to go head up and offer him a little bit of a trade. Hi. Howdy. Looks good. Thank you. I made it myself. It's Ache. Really? That's mm-hmm. impressive. Is it good? I think it's all right. All right. Well, I got here some uh, whiskey and I don't like drinking alone. So uh, what do you think we have ourselves a little picnic? Well, miss, if you don't like drinking alone, <laughs> I'm pull out a flask. <laughs> yeah, this um, this train car is large. It's supposed to seat more than four people. So yeah, Clayton. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, yeah, you pull out the uh, the whiskey. Badlands Pete pulls out the uh, the jerky, uh, and everyone but Roy gets to partake. No, I'll assist him with the sip. All right. Well, that's real generous of you, Clayton, to have had this the whole time and just now offered to share. Hey, no hard feelings. Business is business. All right. So uh, I picked up that you're Clayton and Roy. Uh, sorry for your predicament. Uh, and uh, and I'm Juliet. Well, who are you? My name's Pete. All right, Pete. This is some pretty fun jerky. I'm a... Uh, Never had Ache before. It's, mm, it's good eating if you can catch it. It's not good. <laughs> no, God, no, it's not. Uh, how'd you how'd you catch it? Oh, you know, a little trapping and then uh, well, my lasso. Managed to wrangle it down and, uh, well, you know, I had to eat. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but uh, ain't Ache pretty fast? Mm-hmm. You just caught it? Well, uh, if you can get them going through some trees, they got to... They got to slow down a little bit. And the Ache, they go real fast, but uh, they can have a little trouble steering. So uh, if you can get them headed for the tree line, you can get a good lasso around one. And then, well, you got yourself some jerky. Fellow wilderness man. <laughs> Juliet? Yeah. You can roll connections or lore. Uh, Roy, you can roll connections or lore at a minus two. Uh, and Clayton, you can roll connections or lore. I have one success. I got no hits, um, as this jerky and its crunch and rigidity may make a good lock pick. <laughs> <laughs> and Clayton? I got none. I'm distracted by how gross this ter- this jerky tastes. Juliet, something about this man is familiar to you. Not that like you've met him before or anything, but like... His general demeanor, that lasso, that that kind of strange lasso on his hip, and like you notice that he's got like this this Warakin head belt buckle, which is like cleaner than the rest of him, and quite a statement like piece of his relatively mundane fashion. <laughs> There's just something about him, and like his name rings a bell. And I think you guys chat for a little while longer, and the more he talks about like the weird stuff he's done. You, you start to remember, you've heard tell of a man known as Badlands Pete, and you're not quite sure 
what all the tales are, but something about like he was raised by wild animals and his lasso is a snake. And you swear you heard a story about the fact that he once punched the peak off the highest mountain in Manifest. So, Pete, Mm -hmm. I have a question and uh, you answer how you see fit. I don't want to put you out, but uh, seems to me like you remind me of uh, of a story I heard. Are you of any relation to uh, Badlands, Pete? <laughs> well, uh, suppose if you want to get uh, particular about it, uh, you could say that. Uh, well, I'm I'm Badlands, Pete. <laughs> no shit. All right, Roy. You've heard even in the gardens. You've heard the myth of Badlands, Pete. Uh, you heard that he was. Uh, born of the Badlands and is bound uh, and his life force is bound here. And that's why he never ventures into the garden. Hey, ain't you the guy that kicked a bobtail cat into the sun? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I heard that one before. Sure. Clayton, you too. Now it's ringing a bell. You've heard the stories of Badlands Pete as well. Seems like uh, there's always a drunk in some saloon somewhere on Manifest telling a, a, a tall tale about old Badlands Pete. I once heard he was too tired to walk around a mountain. So he just punched a hole through it and walked on to the other side. <laughs> yeah, that's another one that's out there. I got a well, I got me a few tales. Well, I must say, Badlands Pete, and I tip my hat. I'm a big fan. Thank you. <laughs> so, what are you doing on this train? Well, I'm uh, I'm heading back out into the Badlands. Makes sense. You guys continue chatting, eating jerky, drinking whiskey, maybe napping a little bit along the way. And as you're getting pretty close to Waypoint, uh, the rail line has moved well into the mountain range at this point uh, and is uh, skirting through that that terrain. Um, And those of you who have taken this train ride before, you know it's going to curve and go down soon. And you're about, there's roughly an hour left in this trip towards Waypoint. That's when uh, you hear an explosion, a rumbling. And the train, which, while moving incredibly fast this whole time, has remained very steady and comfortable to be on, jolts. And uh, you see as your train car kind of swings towards the T-shaped pylons and hits one of them, which bursts with this bright blue and yellow burst of like energy as uh, as the train derails. Um, I need everyone to roll an athletics or a gymnastics test for me as uh, this train, which has been hovering and moving at extremely high speeds through the mountains, goes tumbling into the into the ground, crashing and and turning on its side. Well, hell, if I fall to my death, it's only four hundred spurs. four hits for badlands pete okay uh i got three hits over here two for clayton i got five uh clayton you take four damage and roy you take two damage um as the train you're kind of sitting on the side of the train that tilts and brushes up against uh uh against that pylon and that like jolt slams you into the uh, into that side of the car, and then as it looks like the train's about to skid and tip 
completely on its side. It kind of rights itself in its twisting, crashing motion, landing uh, upright, but you can already tell you've been oriented the wrong way. This train is all sorts of messed up. You're not even sure if all the cars are still connected, uh, but it, it's possible they are. It's a pretty sturdy construction, but the smashing uh, momentum has slammed your head into the seat in front of you, Clayton, and Roy, you kind of fall down underneath the seat in front of you. Uh, you would have been able to catch yourself, but your hands are cuffed, so you kind of fall roughly on your shoulder. Um, Juliet and Pete, you managed to like grab on to like handholds and like sturdy yourselves so that you don't go tumbling to like the front of the train car, uh, though the bottle of whiskey is smashed up against the wall. No, the whiskey! <laughs> And uh, no sooner than the creaking, crashing sound of this train derailing settles, do you hear the sound of hooping and hollering outside. A quick glance out, uh, and you see men on hover bikes and men on horseback surrounding the train, guns drawn, rifles drawn, some of them with, uh, with crossbows, and a voice rings out amplified by some device howdy folks my name is charlie walden and this here's my brother harry walden we're the walden brothers gang and we're here to rob this train now no one needs to fret everyone just put out your valuables and we will board this train and leave you with your lives anyone tries to be a hero well there's more of us than there are of you so uh if you're looking to die good today's your day and we all get one XP as someone is threatened with violence. <laughs> <laughs> yep. <laughs> and looking out, kind of assessing the situation, it's hard to see exactly how many men and women there are in the Walden Brothers gang uh, attacking this train right now. But you can quickly discern one fact about their approach. It looks like they're splitting into two. Some are going towards the front of the train to presumably take over the locomotive and uh, subdue the crew and then get to the first class passengers and some are uh, breaking into and boarding the train uh, via the cargo containers, presumably to steal all the valuable cargo out of the back of the train. Roy, you still worth 800 down there? Yes. <laughs> all right, good. Let's try to keep it that way. All right, Clayton. Uh, I think that uh, your most valuable object is uh, Roy here. So, um, Pete, you and me, I think we have some uh, people to take care of up front if you'd like to join me. And I take out my irons and uh, get ready to kick the door in. Much obliged, uh, says Pete as he takes out his stone fist weapon and fits it over his knuckles and also puts his, uh, puts his hand on his banded lasso. Uh, so Juliet and Badlands Pete begin moving towards the front of the train car. Roy, you and I are going to make sure those bastards don't hurt sugar. She's my baby, you know. Yeah, and she's carrying all my stuff. So uh, how about you undo these cuffs and I can help save your Aache slash everything I care about. <laughs> right. Let's get moving. I'll do my best to make sure you don't get shot. Great. Just great. Hey, I ever heard of the Walden Brothers gang? Uh, yeah, you can roll connections at a plus two because you are an outlaw. Uh, that's three hits. Yeah, you've heard of them. Uh, this is far and away the largest score you've ever heard them attempt to take in. Not many people have the nerve to try and uh, hijack a high-speed rail. I mean, these are protected by the the governors of the factory towns of Manifest. Like, even if they got away, like, the amount of resources coming after them to make an example out of them uh, doesn't hardly seem worth it. 
but uh, uh, you've heard of them. They're a Badlands gang. Sometimes they move into the garden. They're capable enough. Charlie Walden is pretty quick with a pair of six shooters. And uh, Harry Walden prefers quantity over quality when it comes to his firearms. He just has a big old belt-fed machine gun. But uh, as far as the gang goes, their numbers are pretty big. Uh, most Badland gangs, number 8 to 12. The Walden Brothers gang, while it has a lot of turnover, usually tries to keep its numbers uh, pretty large, up in the upwards of 20 or 30. As we're making our way back to the cargo area, I'll tell Clayton... Um, Walden Brothers seem to be uh, maybe punching a bit above their weight class here, trying to take a train. So uh, they're probably keen to do something real dumb. You keep that in mind when they start firing. Good to know. Thanks for the heads up. Hey, you're in front, man. One hand on Roy, kind of pulling him behind him. Uh, Clayton, you get to the uh, to the back door of this train car that leads into the cargo cars, and it is locked. How flimsy's this door? I mean, if you're talking about shooting your way through it, you probably can. It's sturdy, but not so sturdy that a couple shots from your rifle won't pop it open. Well, it's not like this train can get any more broke. And I pop it open. <laughs> we all get one XP as a locked door is bypassed. <laughs> <laughs> a couple shots rain out from the third class passenger car as um, Clayton fires through. And uh, uh, there's all, there's been all sorts of noise on the outside. You hear Juliet and, and Pete, you hear the way you're heading. Uh, tons of people shouting um, uh, a couple gunshots. Um, you hear the gunshots of Clayton behind you and Clayton, you, you hear the direction you're heading. A couple voices shouting like, what was that? Go check it out. Juliet and Pete. Yes. You move into the second class passenger cars. Um, these have smaller private rooms that uh, have two benches facing in on each other and a little bit of leg space with a uh, uh, shelving above the seats for uh, personal effects. Moving through there, you see a, a man in his like mid-20s kind of like peeking out, a uh, worried look on his face. And uh, he sees you. He sees you two coming up on him, and he puts his hands in the air and goes, "Please, please, I don't have anything of value." That ain't us, sir. Stand down, <laughs> uh, sir. Just take out your valuables and, and put them on the bench. And, and if they come by, if they get past us, just let them take them. They they ain't gonna hurt you if you don't fight. But hopefully, it won't come to that. We got a plan. I say, not having a plan other than to shoot things. <laughs> And uh, I continue moving forward. Okay. At this point, I'm going to need everyone to roll initiative. I would also like to use the powers of luminescence to use lithe on myself. Okay. Uh, go ahead and roll somatics to use that power and then, uh, and then roll up your initiative. Did anyone get better than eight? I got an eight. Uh, seven? I got a seven. Six? Clayton got six. And Juliet, what did you get? A five. So, uh, Juliet, you, uh, say that to the man. He looks a little, a little confused, a little shocked. Um, but he like kind of steps back into his cabin. There's a, a couple more cabins in between you and the, uh, uh, the door to this car, which slides open and, um, in runs a member of the Walden gang. He's got, uh, dark leathers on and, uh, and a bandana around his face. And he raises a double barrel shotgun and is going to take a shot at both Juliet and Pete. I will dodge. Same. I got a high 14. Uh, my highest is a 9. I have a 12. And 
Uh, you both kind of move to the sides. Badlands, Pete to the left, uh, Juliet to the right, uh, and the spread shot shoots th- down the middle of the uh, hall, and uh, he pulls the second trigger, and the second barrel fires at you guys as well. So go ahead and dodge again. Add a minus one. Uh, my highest is an 11. I got no hits. Oh, no. Okay. But I'm going to spend some grit. <laughs> okay. Oh, I'm going to play to the gallery. Okay. High is 14. Okay. I will also <laughs> spend grit. My high is a 12. Uh, you play to the gallery as well? Uh, I do. So the second shot misses you as uh, as both of you uh, grab the handle of the respective cabin doors that you're leaning up against, slide them open, and duck into the cabins for cover. Badlands Pete, there's a shriek as you do, uh, and an attractive woman, stylishly dressed, cowers in the corner, uh, <laughs> shouting as you as you burst into her uh, quarters. And Juliet, the one you pop into, is empty. Excuse me, ma'am. <laughs> Pete, it is your turn. All right. I only see the one, right? Uh, yes. Okay. Well, I grab the lasso from my hip and I twirl it around and I give, give it a toss at him. <laughs> lasso this boy. Okay. Uh, you come stepping out of the cabin, uh, lasso in hand, and uh, throw it out in front of you. Uh, my high is a six. I'm going to use two more grit. Okay. I'm using two grit to play to the gallery. So now my high is 15. And I got uh, two net hits. Okay. Uh, So you get a rating two grapple on this guy, lassoing him uh, and pulling the rope tight. It squeezes against him, and some of that toxin that you have on the central cord seeps out, and I will roll a negate test for him. Gets a little snake bite. Uh, And he just fails to resist, and uh, the toxin touches his skin, and you see his pupils dilate as he struggles against the uh, uh, struggles against the binds uh, and he takes two damage and will be at a penalty now as he's starting to get a little disoriented. Uh, because I've got the uh, talent, tier one talent, wrestler I can make a quick action upon grappling someone so I'm going to go ahead and uh, and hit him so it's a it's an unarmed attack and I got plus two because he's got in a rating two grapple. Okay, and he is at a minus two. So my highest is an eight. My highest 11. I'm going to spend grit so you can get a point of grit back, Pete. And this bandit will go it strong uh, and ignore his negative penalties so that he can count this 12. Ah. So you pull him in and pull up uh, pull up one of your fists with your uh, stone knuckle duster on and you punch at him. Uh, and he kind of stumbles forward and uh, almost ends up like kind of shoulder headbutting you in the in the chest. Not like knocking you back or anything, because it was didn't have a lot of like force behind it. But your your swing does go over his head. Still your turn though. I now I'm gonna attack with my uh, with my other hand. That's a quick action. Okay. My highest 14. Even if this guy went it strong, he wouldn't be able to do anything about that. Um, yeah. uh, he gets no hits. Okay. Well, I've got five hits. Yeah, I can count four of them, I think. Uh, so how much damage is that? That's going to be uh, 20 damage. No piercing. And it's uh, serrated, so he also takes an extra uh, two points of armor damage. <laughs> I, I actually gave him, a, I gave him a hoop snake strike, I call it. Where I, <laughs> I, I put him out, and then I, I do a frontward somersault and spring up with an uppercut right under the chin. And, uh, oh boy, it goes pretty good usually. Yeah, uh, you you crush that guy, just cracking his jaw 
with the uh, with the stone knuckle duster on your left hand as uh, yep. he goes flying up and almost hits the ceiling of the train car uh, before he falls down, uh, uh, either dead or unconscious. <laughs> well, that was downright impressive. Well, thank you. I ain't never seen that before. Uh, Roy, it is your turn. The door to the cargo hole is open. There's lots of crates of like industrial materials being transported from the factory town in this car. A couple bags, uh, maybe some some foodstuffs. Um, you don't see any bandits in this car. All right. Do I see any way to arm myself in my current predicament as I do not like being handcuffed in the middle of a train robbery? Uh, go ahead and roll an observe test for me. That's three hits. Looking around, there's not like weaponry in this train car, but you do see uh, uh, in front of you, Clayton is moving forward, uh, both hands now on his rifle as he is beginning to move in to clear the room. Uh, and tucked into uh, a sheath on the back of his belt is a uh, a very fine-looking throwing dagger. Well, I will just uh, procure that for myself real quick <laughs> and subtle lack. All right, go ahead and roll Skullduggery. And Clayton, go ahead and roll Observe at a minus two. Uh, my high is an 11. Four. I got four net hits. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, just one second it's in his belt, and the next second it's in your hand, kind of tucked underneath uh, your wrist, so if he turns around, he doesn't notice you're holding it. Yeah, I know how to do my job. Uh, and then I will uh, follow Clayton in, uh, and at the first opportunity to become unseen, I will do so <laughs> and hide. Yeah, after lifting the dagger off, you could you could move into like a hiding spot. There's plenty of uh, uh, crates like strapped into the side of this train car and you might be able to like shimmy in behind uh, between some of them all right i'll do that uh yeah go ahead and roll sneak for me and let me know what your highest is uh my high is a 13 okay uh so after pulling the dagger you kind of look behind you towards the uh, uh the train car uh you hear shouting and screaming coming from that direction you look in front of you it's a little quieter in the cargo hold as clayton begins moving forward but there is the sound of, of people possibly approaching, uh, and you just kind of slip out of sight, uh, dagger in hand. And just as you do, the door to this train car uh, across from uh, Clayton bursts open. Clayton, you see a bandit uh, with, a, uh, with a bandana around his face, um, leather armor, a bowler cap, and he has a, a kind of L-shaped blade in his hand and a repeating crossbow in his other hand and he levels the crossbow at you and is going to take a couple shots go ahead and roll a dodge test uh clayton also earlier i got two successes on lies so all of my finesse skills are at plus two okay my highest is a 12 uh my highest is six and i'm gonna play to the gallery okay bring in my highest to 15 <laughs> so Another thing you notice, Roy, as you're kind of sliding into this, um, you get a good look at Clayton, and uh, you notice this, like, the slightest, like, almost for a second you think you see, like, a gleam of, of energy kind of shimmering down, like, the veins of his neck, just for a second. Like, it's not there. Like, you kind of blink, and it's not there. But for a moment, you thought you saw, like, kind of a, a glow. It could have been, like, a, a trick of the light. But then what you see is this guy kicks open the door and fires uh, a handful of bolts in Clayton's direction. And Clayton, like, supernaturally 
quickly drops to like uh, drops to his knees, kind of sliding forward and kicks back up onto his feet, not breaking any momentum. Oh, hell. No wonder he caught me. He was cheating. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Clayton, uh, the bandit rushes forward to meet you in the middle of the train car and swings that hooked sword at you. I think I'm going to get out of the way of that. Uh, my highest is a 12. My highest is a 12. Ty does go to the attacker. So you take three damage with no piercing as he slams the, the flat, non-hooked side of this blade uh, against your chest and, like, rakes it along your armor. And, Clayton, it is your turn. Well, I have toughness three, so I take zero damage. All right. And, uh, I'm going to... I'm going to kind of step back and level my rifle and unload on this gentleman. Go for it. Uh, my high is a seven. My high is 14. I have two net hits on you. So how much damage is that? 12 with two piercing. So you uh, level your rifle, uh, pushing away from this guy, and you unload and, and riddle him with bullets. He stumbles back. Uh, nothing seems to have hit anything vital. You got like a bullet in his leg and like one in his arm. Uh, he is very hurt, but still standing. And uh, Juliet, back to you. All right. So there ain't nobody left in this car that seems hostile, right? Uh, correct. Okay. I will um, do a quick pat down on the body uh, and then uh, keep moving towards the front of the train. Come on, Pete. Yes, ma'am. So you, uh, you step through into the connecting area between these two cars, and the doors leading outside are open. The frigid, windy air of the mountaintop hits you, and you see uh, both to your left and to your right two bandits starting to board the train. Uh, all right, I will um, shoot to either side of me. Pow, pow. Uh, these aren't your best guns. Those ones are still at large with your husband. <laughs> Um, but these ones are still good. They have a good weight to them. It's been a while since you fired these ones. Uh, you cock back the hammers and you uh, try to shoot both of them. That's 13 uh, on the first uh, shot. My highest is a seven. That is three net hits. So that's a uh, 15 damage with two piercing. And for your second shot on the guy to your right. Uh, my highest is a 13. My highest is a six. Uh, that is also three net hits. So that's um, another 15 damage with two piercing. So you step out. These uh, these two men are stepping aboard the train, kind of pulling themselves up by the, the handrail, crossbows in hand. Uh, and you step out, swing both arms out uh, to your left and your right. And two clean shots send these guys flying off the train on either end. Uh, they're they're dead. These guns may not be your best guns, uh, but they're pretty good guns. Don't you know it's always ladies first? Pete, if you would, it's all yours. Sure. I'm. Well, damn. <laughs> uh, right. I get right, right back at you. I have officially put myself in harm's way in order to protect others, so that's an XP for everybody. Uh, and well, while we're on the subject, uh, someone with superior firepower it has been defeated in close combat. And I believe I was observed performing an amazing feat of athleticism. Yeah, yeah, that's that's two more XP for everybody. All also, right. when you hit two of your triggers, uh, you get a grit. Pete, you're moving uh, uh, forward 
to pass by Juliet and uh, the door across from her leading into the observation car flies open and you see uh, Susan Taylor and her father uh, rushing back. Uh, Her father with pistol in hand firing back behind him trying to shove Susan uh, into cover. Um, he takes a couple shots at a bandit and, uh, that bandit like kind of ducks behind, uh, one of the seats in the observation deck and then pops up and he is going to take a shot at, uh, all three of you with his, uh, with his spread shot, double barrel shotgun. Uh, my highest is a 10. I got a 14. I got a 12. So the first shot goes wide. Uh, Susan and her father manage to duck into cover. And both of you, Juliet and Pete, manage to like pull yourself into the door frame as the, as the spread shot scatters against the wall there. And here comes the second shot as he begins walking forward towards you guys to get a little closer. And my highest is a 12. I have an 11. I have a 13. So Juliet, you'll get hit. Uh, and you will take seven damage with one armor piercing. All right. My armor has uh, two toughness, so uh, I will mark that down accordingly. All right. It reduces the damage by two. Uh, but what happens is uh, you've kind of pulled back against the uh, against the door frame, and you swing out to try and get a look at this guy, not expecting him to, like, waltz forward uh, with his shotgun to pull, a, uh, to pull the second trigger. And that second shot just clips you right in the shoulder, uh, causes you to spin back around and slam your back against the wall. Oh, hell. Hey, you all right? Yeah, it's just a scratch. And Pete, you're up. Sure. So he turns to the other two, says, "Uh, get back in that car. Uh, There's a nice man three down. He'll let you in. Looks like he had a lot of space. (laughs) And so this man has waltzed forward against Badlands Pete, which to this point in his life has always been a dumb move. (laughs) Uh, And he's going to lasso. My high is a 14. And my highest is a 12. All right. I got uh, two net hits. Cool. So again, you throw uh, the lasso in front of you. It unravels, uh, loops around the guy, and you pull it tight. Um, I will roll negate against uh, the poison. Uh, this man seems less phased by the poison as uh, as it seeps into his clothes. Um, you're not quite sure he's getting the full dose, though, with his, uh, with his thicker armor. And uh, uh, he struggles against the binds, uh, not showing the, the weariness of being intoxicated. Oh, well, it's unfortunate, but fine. <laughs> I'm going to wrestle him. All right. My high is a 13. Uh, my high is an 11. Oh, well, great. You got three net hits. That'll be 15 damage, extra two to his armor. All right, so uh, you hold tight onto the rope and you pull this guy in. Uh, he's struggling against it, uh, against it, but you pull him right up close and you punch him in the gut, uh, kind of twisting your your punch as you do, like in a corkscrew motion, letting the like serrated nature of your uh, of your stone knuckles kind of scrape up and cut like a hole in his armor. Uh, and he looks pretty rough. Blood is starting to like run down his leg, but he is still alive. Let's say to him. Leave the gun, leave the train. If you want to walk out of this one alive. Go ahead and roll Intimidate. Uh, You can have a plus four, given the fact that you just hurt him really bad. Three hits, high of an eight. Uh, My highest is a seven. I'm going to spend a grit. Okay. Two grit. I'm going to play to the gallery. Sure. Uh, I got three net hits. Okay. He looks up at you, and he looks like he's about to, like, say something, like, angrily at you, 
and then you pull the fist out of his like gut and he like coughs up just a little bit of blood and like almost falls to one knee. And then he looks around, he sees like Juliet kind of come around the corner, guns in hand. Uh, he sees uh, Susan Taylor's dad, like still with a gun in hand, like pushing her back past you. And uh, he looks back towards you and his hand lets go of his gun uh, and it clatters to the ground. Now get. So you say, now get, you remove the lasso from him and pull it off. He looks kind of shocked, takes a couple steps back and he turns to, to, run, uh, to run down the stairs to get outside. Well, that was damn generous of you. You want me to shoot him on his way out, or...? I'll probably die out there anyways. That's fair. I, I have chosen not to fight someone I believe I could have beat. Everybody take an experience point. Nice. <laughs> and, um, Clayton, you're getting ready to, uh, you and this, uh, this wounded guy across from you are getting ready to go at it again. Uh, and then the door behind you, uh, where you came from, uh, the third class door, opens up again. And in walks another bandit. Uh, this one, no hat, still the same signature uh, bandana around the face. He's holding a, a gun instead of a crossbow, and he is going to shoot at you. I reckon I'll get out of the way. Uh, my highest is a 12. Yeah, mine's 13. Uh, you hear the door open. You glance back. For the first moment, you realize, where the hell's Roy? <laughs> <laughs> And uh, before you have a chance to really look around for him, you uh, kind of, with your enhanced reflexes, dive uh, and roll as this guy uh, shoots uh, a blast at you with his uh, uh, with his double barrel shotgun. And you spring to your feet, and he, as you do, he is going to pull the second trigger and try to shoot you again. Uh, and my high is a 10. I think I'm going to play to the gallery again on this one. Uh, 14. Uh, 14 will do it. So uh, you dive up and uh, he's about to shoot you again. And kind of in that like enhanced state, you reach up with one hand grabbing onto like a, a cargo railing and pull yourself up with the momentum to kind of hold yourself against the ceiling for a second as the shot goes underneath you. And then you drop down. You know, I can just find you again, Roy. And I get ready to fire back. Roy, it is your turn. I will uh, contemplate my options in this moment. <laughs> it's, you know, uh, it's a little tough to line up the shot on Clayton at this this particular juncture. Uh, and, and seeing all the uh, flips and shit he can apparently do. I'll think back to a time that uh, I may have run out on a poker game with uh, the Walden brothers with a lot of their cash. And I will huck this knife at the goon that just came into the door. <laughs> <laughs> uh, he does not know you are there. Great. So he does not get to roll a dodge test. So this uh, this knife you have uh, has power three, accuracy three, and eight piercing. It also has two reliability. All right. Well, because he is unaware I am there, it actually has accuracy four, which means all four of these hits count. Uh, that is 12 damage with eight piercing. So this, uh, this guy is... Uh, uh, pulling down the lever on his uh, shotgun to load in the next two slugs. And as Clayton kind of hits the ground and like realizes he's being set upon by two different angles, uh, a knife just flies out of the shadows as Roy reveals himself with Clayton's dagger. Uh, and the knife shoots right in this guy's throat. And he like drops his gun, grabs the knife and like slowly pulls it out and tries to stem the bleeding, but can't and stumbles forward and falls down, clattering the ground, uh, clattering to the ground. Hey, my knife. 
I will dive forward and grab the knife. <laughs> Makes sense. <laughs> Uh, I think you mean my knife, Clayton. <laughs> uh, Clayton, before you have a chance to respond, the uh, bandit with the hand crossbow and the hooked sword is going to rush forward and try to slash at you again with this blade, uh, this time seeming to aim for your leg to trip you up with that hooked part. I'm going to go ahead and spend grit, Clayton, and my highest is a 12. Ain't much I can do. What was your highest? 11. So you take three damage, no armor piercing, which to your armor is no damage, um, but he does succeed in tripping you. So he, he hooks that, that blade, realizing it's probably a little too dull uh, to really cut through your armor, and he yanks your leg out from underneath you. Uh, so before you can even say anything to Roy, you get planted on your back, and uh, the bandit kind of steps back, and with his repeater crossbow is going to take a couple shots at you on the ground, uh, Clayton, but also raise the, the crossbow as he does, firing a couple bolts towards uh, Roy as well. So I'm going to need both of you to dodge. Uh, what did you guys get for your highests? Mine is very low. I got an 11. I got a 10. So uh, Clayton, uh, you roll to the side, uh, the bolts sticking into the ground where you just were. And Roy, uh, you kind of are down to the ground, like you're kind of crouched against the ground, uh, still handcuffed, uh, holding that dagger, and you kind of just push yourself off, slamming into some crates to avoid the bolts as they go flying past you. And Clayton, you are up. As I roll back onto my back, I'm going to finish this guy off. My highest is 14. My highest is a 1. That is three net hits. That kills him. <laughs> so you kind of roll onto your back, getting uh, your gun oriented. You shoulder it and uh, let out a burst. And before he can move for any kind of cover or anything, you just uh, run the bullets up his, uh, up his chest uh, and he goes flying back, falls down dead. I stand to my feet and have my rifle ready towards uh, Roy. You ain't going to do anything stupid now, are you? Uh, before you have a chance to respond, Roy, uh, Juliet and Pete, you can see down the observation car, um, which looks a little damaged from the ruckus. Uh, the the viewing screens seem to be malfunctioning, so it's just kind of like this dull gray glow in there as opposed to the scenery of the outside. And the door at the end of the observation car opens up, and a man with no mask and a scar down uh, down his right cheek steps up and he is uh, shouldering a very large belt-fed machine gun uh, and he cocks it, uh, holds it up, and uh, he's going to spray at both of you. So my highest is an 11. My highest is a 15. Okay. And Juliet, what's your highest? A 9. Alright, so Pete, you managed to rush forward to the door that connects to the uh, the observation deck and slam up against that cover before he pulls the trigger. Uh, Juliet, you're kind of still reeling from being hit in the shoulder and uh, you try to move for cover, but he does manage to hit you in the gut, I think, um, with 12 damage, three armor piercing. I'd like to take an injury as a result of this uh, being shot very badly. <laughs> okay, so instead of taking damage, uh, go ahead and roll a d20. What'd you roll? Uh, four. I'm slowed down. 
All right, so your static initiative is reduced by one, uh, which also reduces your current initiative score by one. So this bullet digs in. You feel like a, you feel like maybe a rib crack, and like your breath gets shot out of you. And you're instead of like landing uh, smoothly in your cover, you kind of slam into it, uh, clutching at your at your uh, side. And Juliet, it is your turn. All right, um, clutching at my side for just a minute. Uh, I sort of do what I can to like find the posture that that hurts the least. Uh, and then I will, in fact, move forward. Um, I would like to shoot the that giant gun out of his hands as quickly as possible. Uh, I would not like a repeat of the of the events that just transpired. Okay, so you do a called shot, which is at a minus two. Mm-hmm. So uh, my highest is a thirteen. Uh, my highest is a nine. Uh, so that's uh, three net hits. So yeah, he. Uh, uh, you hear his boots on the uh, on the floor of the observation deck as he begins moving forward. The barrels on his uh, machine gun kind of spinning a little uh, slower, and he he starts chuckling. He's like, "Come out, come out!" And you swing around, uh, lining up a clean shot, and uh, you shoot right at the 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 center of his rotating barrels, and it bursts there, and uh, all. Six of the barrels bend out, splayed from the from the impact as the bullet rides down the center of his rotating chamber, and uh, and it f- and his gun flies out of his hand, snapping the bullet belt uh, at his hip, and he stumbles back, kind of clutching his wrist uh, in pain. And you have another shot. Uh, sure, I will step out from cover and be like, "All right," and uh, I will shoot him. Okay. Uh, my highest is a 14. Unfortunately, my highest is a 6. Okay, that's really good uh, because I, I rolled a 14 and two sixes. <laughs> well, <laughs> ties go to the aggressor. Yes. So uh, that's three net hits for you. Okay, uh, again, that's 15 damage uh, with two piercing. Uh, he will take an injury instead of damage. Ooh. And uh, he gets the critical injury shaken, which uh, which means he's more likely to suffer a misfire. And uh, you hit him uh, clean in the shoulder. Uh, he goes stumbling and spinning back and slams his head into one of the railings on the observation car and uh, kind of stumbles a bit with it, looking a little dizzied. Careful what you wish for. Uh, at that moment, the door behind him opens up and two more bandits with guns run into the observation deck. They're looking around. They see uh, the man stumbling towards them, like bleeding a little bit at the uh, at the forehead, dizzy, and he just goes, gunslinger! And... <laughs> 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 and, uh, and they both go wide-eyed, and one of them grabs, uh, grabs his shoulder, pulls him back, and yells, uh, yells out behind him, or maybe out one of the windows, Harry's hit! And as Harry Walden is being pulled back into the next car by uh, by that bandit, the other one steps forward uh, and is going to fire wildly at um, uh, at Juliet. My highest is a seven. Uh, I have a nine. Okay. Uh, so the first shot from this uh, from this double barrel shotgun misses you. Here comes the next one. And my highest is an eight. My highest is a two. Okay. 
Uh, so you take six damage uh, with one armor piercing. I would like to take a class one injury. Okay. Uh, since this is your second injury, you will be rolling two d20 and taking the highest. I rolled a five and a six. All right. So you are overwhelmed. Uh, the first shot, you kind of move to the side, but then uh, you slip on the on the stairs there, and you and you uh, uh, the second shot kind of barely whizzes by your head, and you lose your balance and uh, and like twist your ankle as you catch yourself on the hand railing to stop yourself from falling out of the train. Okay. Uh, Pete, you are up. Hey, Juliet, you all right? I'm fine. Keep going. I'll, uh, yeah, I'll do the old whip and bit on, on this buckaroo. All right. Go ahead and roll your attack. I got a high eight. My highest is a nine. So for the first time, your lasso swings out, straightening out, uh, and this guy manages to step to the side, and the lasso kind of falls flat on the ground, and he manages to avoid it. Oh, you're in a heap of trouble, cowboy. I could swing at him with my uh, with my other fist whipping. Okay, so you start rushing forward, squeezing your, your stone knuckles, uh, and you raise up a fist and throw it right at his face. Mm-hmm. Uh, 13. And my high is an 8. That's, uh, that's 10 damage with, uh, with serrated, so an extra 2 to the armor. Uh, this guy, he... He kind of like looked down at the uh, at the lasso as it landed on the ground next to him. He was kind of surprised he missed it, and he looks up, not expecting you to have advanced that quickly. But with several, with just a few long strides, you close the gap, and you just give him a haymaker across the face, and his uh, uh, his bandana like flies off, and like uh, so do a couple teeth as he like spins. Yep. And then as uh, as he's spinning, I'm gonna come around. Uh, against his momentum for a nice, clean roundhouse kick. Because ah. I've got the Fist of Fury talent allowing me to just punch one more time every turn. All right, go for it. My highest is a four. That's four net hits, all four that I can count. So that'll be 20 damage, uh, two to the armor, as if anything here is living. Your attack goes exactly as planned. He swings around, and you just stop his mo- his spinning momentum, and he goes flying back, crumpling into the corner of the observation deck, just just down. Hey, Juliet, let's go chase this guy. On it. Roy, it is your turn. All right, I will, uh, holding this knife, flip it around in my hands, and uh, pick these manacles. So, uh, this is not the situation I prefer to be in on a lot of levels. <laughs> Uh, all right. Um, it is a very fine pointed uh, throwing knife, but it's not the ideal tool. So go ahead and roll Skullduggery at a minus three. Now, I ain't opposed to letting you get out of those to make sure we survive this, but don't you dare mess up my manacles. As this is uh, too good an opportunity not to, I will spend three grit to go it strong. <laughs> uh, all right. That's four hits to get out of these manacles. You almost casually flip the dagger around, uh, make a couple like quick little jerking twists and the handcuffs just pop right off and you can like kind of spin them on one finger. Uh, and I will spin them on one finger and toss them back to Clayton. Uh, I'll sheathe the knife and uh, head towards my stuff. And uh, I'll say, I'm sorry, were you saying something? Uh, we should probably stop them before they uh, take all our stuff, yeah? Why don't you lead the way? <laughs> 
Yeah, so you move up. Your your cargo is in the next car. Um, that's where uh, the animals and mounts are being held. And uh, Clayton's mount is in there. And in his saddlebags is all of your stuff, Roy. Uh, and so you move up and you slide the, uh, the next door open into the next car. And uh, you see two... Uh, bandits rummaging through stuff. They're like moving around. Uh, this this is the car that has uh, the pens for the animals. Um, uh, most of which are are well covered. You think you hear like a couple horses and a couple other things. Um, and uh, uh, there are two bandits pulling open shelves and uh, and grabbing like rations and other and other valuables and like stuffing them into uh, into their packs. And they look up at you and they immediately reach for their their hand crossbows. Uh, and they are going to take a shot at you. Uh, you have good cover, though, so you can have a plus two to this. I got a 14. Well, my highest is a two, so you're okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, but the other one is also going to shoot at you. Uh, I got a 12. Well, uh, his highest is a 10, um, but I will spend some grit, uh, so you can take a point of grit back as he goes at strong and I will uh, be able to count this 12 I got, making it so he gets one net hit on you. Uh, so you take uh, two damage, which is all armor piercing, uh, as this one arrow hits you in the leg and you kind of move behind your cover and like the arrow hurts, it's stuck in there and you're pretty uh, experienced when it comes to like projectile weapons like that and you are pretty sure you have a barbed arrow in your leg right now. Uh, so you will be at a minus one to all actions while that arrow is still in you. And if it is removed incorrectly, uh, you will begin bleeding out. Uh, and I will duck down behind this cover and I'll call out in pain. Ah, oh, God dang it, Clayton. They shot me. How could you let them do this to me, Clayton? Hey, <laughs> <laughs> tried dodging. Clayton, it is your turn. And where Roy and maybe others might hear the random sounds of disgruntled and some and somewhat frightened animals in these pens, you hear the <sighs> that is familiar to you as sugar, uh, as if hearing your voice, uh, her ears just perked up. I'm going to yell out, get him, baby girl. <laughs> All right. Uh, what does sugar do? If the if the guys are like lined up with the pen, uh, I wanted to burst through and have the door like smash him against the other wall. Uh, she can definitely do that with one of them. They're a little spread out, but yeah, uh, go ahead and roll an attack roll. Uh, what is her highest? Her highest is a four. Uh, my highest is a five. So this, uh, you yell, get him, baby girl. And this, uh, this bandit turns like a little confused as the door to sugar's pen bursts off the hinges and flies at him and he dives for cover and right behind uh, right behind the flying door is a gigantic red bull-like creature known as an Ache uh, that pins the door against the wall, would have flattened that man if he hadn't jumped out of the way and as she extricates her horns from the metal and the wood, she turns. Uh, she still has an attack left, and this man is scrambling to his feet, looking for a place to get out of the way as this big bull steps out, almost not able to fit in the small lane between these pens. And she's going to charge down the hallway. All right, go ahead and roll. My highest is a 10. My highest is a 2. 
I have three net hits on that guy. So that's nine damage. Okay. Uh, she rushes forward. Uh, he's trying to scramble and she headbutts him, not quite hooking him with one of her horns, but uh, rolling him over her head and then stomps on him. His armor gets cracked and busted and ripped off of him as he scrambles to try and get somewhere safe, just shouting in terror as he does. Uh, and it, it's your it's your go. You still, uh, you still have your actions. Uh, I'm going to full auto and shoot at both of them for pissing off my little girl. My highest is a 15. So one of them, his highest is a two, and the other one, his highest is a five. Well, that's four net hits on the guy with two, and two net hits on the other. How much damage is that? 18 and 12 with two piercing. So this guy tries scrambling, and uh, you step up next to Roy, who's kind of like sitting there leaning against the leaning against the wall, clutching his, uh, his leg with a bolt in it. And you just kind of assume like a, a stance to like take in the recoil. You lay down a, a ton of uh, fire, uh, spraying and uh, spraying into this room, uh, skillfully avoiding sugar as you do. You carve upwards off the ground, hitting the guy who sh- who's trying to scramble away from sugar, and then swing your your shots to the left uh, to the man who is closer to you, uh, who uh, managed to hit Roy. And uh, he just gets shot uh, right in the dome and stumbles back, falling down completely limp. Good girl. Would you say an animal is used to solve a problem? Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) And then perhaps precise control of a mount altered this situation. I also agree with that. That's two XP for everybody and a point of grit for Clayton. And uh, Juliet, it is your turn. And as you are just like a step away from hanging outside uh, this open door of the train, uh, you hear tons of shouting and hollering, uh, angry voices uh, and and scrambling mounts and vehicles outside the train. Like they're leaving? Hard to say. You could look. I, I do. Uh, so you lean out and you see um, uh, the man identified as Harry Walden uh, being thrown onto the back of a hover bike. Uh, who is being piloted by uh, another man with uh, two pistols on his hips, who's also not wearing a mask. And uh, he is beginning to gun down a mountain path, uh, almost like a vertical one, but since he's on a hover bike, it can kind of coast down that slope. Uh, Meanwhile, other people are hopping on their... uh, hopping on their horses and shouting towards others. And like you see, they're like motioning for people to follow. It does seem like the bandits are getting ready to retreat. Uh, yeah, I, I will press on to the to the next car. That that can't be all of them, uh, and the people are more important than the stuff. Uh, so you uh, move through the observation car uh, past Pete. You step through to the next car, which is the saloon. It seems like there was a bit of a firefight here, probably with Susan Taylor's father as he was uh, uh, making his retreat. Um, there is one dead bandit here, so it does seem like he managed to take out one. Uh, but there's no one else here. And uh, you can continue forward uh, into the dining car. I'll head on into the dining car then. If there ain't nothing here, uh, let's keep going. And moving in, you almost bump directly into uh, into a person. And as you step back to like assess them, uh, you recognize uh, uh, one of the train staff um, uh, he's in uniform, uh, a little cap. Um, he's late twenties, maybe, 
uh, and he's got um, uh, a rifle, uh, like a standard issue militia rifle uh, that he levels at you as you as you bump into him. And the way he's holding it is pretty obvious to you that he's not handled a weapon like this before. Oh, hey there, Junior. Uh, it's all right. Why don't you, uh, well, actually, why don't you regrip? So you got more pressure on the, you got more of the weight under your, it's not resting on your trigger finger. You, you okay? You okay there? Who the hell are you? I'm a passenger from third class. He, he like kind of looks a little bit like, like at least like maybe throwing his memory back and he goes, yeah, conductor's dead. Okay. That's okay. In the, in the second class compartments, there's a, a couple of people hiding out there. You should go check on them. They might need your protection. Uh, what are you going to do? Move on forward. They're, they all left. They all left? They jumped off the train and, and started running. They must have gotten what they came for, or maybe you scared them off. I don't know. There was lots of gunshots. It, it all happened really How fast. How many but of them died? Th- How many did you kill? <laughs> Me? None. Um, that, that one man, the, the, uh, Mr. Taylor, he took a couple of them out, um, and, then, and then I lost track of him in the, in the gunfight, and then before I knew it, they were all gone. Okay, that's good news then. Uh, why don't you do a passenger head count? What's your name, kid? Cade. Uh, Cade Wilson. Okay, Cade. Why don't you uh, go get the passenger manifest and, 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 and gather them all together and uh, make sure that we have a full head count? I'm going to keep doing a sweep, make sure that everything's fine, go find my friends, and we're going to see if we can't get, uh, get these gentlemen uh, to give back what they took. Okay, um... My brother Welby and Mr. McDonald are are in a in the second first class cabin. Uh, they they locked the door there as I came back this way, but then the fighting was over. Okay, and that's all the people you saw in first class. Uh, that's all there was. It was uh, Mr. McDonald and uh, Ms. Taylor and her father. Okay, you run and get your brother then, and uh, Mr. McDonald, and y'all come back to. To right here, and, and we're gonna gather all all of the people together, and so we can be safe. Okay. He nods at that, and then like kind of takes a second, like takes a deep breath, and like steals himself a little bit. He like stops trembling a little bit, and goes, "Yeah, okay, yeah." And uh, he moves back towards the first class cabin. And uh, as you uh, turn back towards Pete, uh, you hear the sound of uh, uh, hollering and shouting, and uh, vehicles moving further away. Um, Clayton and Roy, you guys are standing in the, uh, in the cargo area and you hear similar sounds, uh, people shouting, it ain't worth it. This job's a bust. Let's go. Come on, fall back. Harry's hurt. And that's where we'll end our session. This podcast has been brought to you by ENPC Productions, all rights reserved. The Essential NPCs podcast is affiliated with and specifically approved by Tommy Cotton. Manifest, the RPG, is property of Tommy Cotton. All rights reserved. For more information, go to www.manifesttherpg.com.